Welcome to the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast, where we interview the world's leading CEOs, business executives, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and authors. Our mission is to learn the strategies and tactics that have helped our guests succeed in business and life and share those lessons with you so that you can become the Bulletproof Entrepreneur. My name is Chia Dogu, and I'm the co-founder and COO of Odogu Media Group. Odogu Media Group is a podcast marketing and new media agency that helps corporations create and amplify their story via high-quality branded audio content that builds a community of highly engaged fans who are their ideal clients for their premium products and services. And now, without further ado, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneurial Podcast. My guest today is Brock Shinen. Brock is a lawyer and strategy consultant. Specifically, he works in digital transformation strategy consulting. He's also a speaker and an author and the founder of the law office of Brock Shinen, Inc. He represents some of the largest churches and ministry organizations in the United States. He's a highly sought after speaker and business advisor and strategist to globally recognized organizations and ministries around the world. His new book is titled The Christian Entrepreneur, Dream, Plan, Execute, and Grow. It's being released in February 2020, and I'm pleased to have Brock on the show today to tell us a little bit more about himself, his business background, his journey, his experiences, and of course, his new book, and what he wants to teach us and share about being a Christian entrepreneur in this um, new world that we live in. So with that said, Brock, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chi. I'm so happy to be here and so happy to help in any way I can. So it's great to have this conversation. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for coming to share your story. So Brock, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. I see here online that you're a consultant in digital transformation as well as a lawyer, and right. but it never really started out as planned for you to be a lawyer, right? So tell us your career arc or your journey to becoming who you are today. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a long story, so I'll shorten it for sure. Um, I grew up in a pretty small town um, out in the desert, and just you know didn't have a whole lot of access to resources and uh, you know that sort of thing. So I grew up knowing that I wanted to get out of that town and I wanted to help people, and mm-hmm. not in a bad way to get out of town, but I just knew that I wanted to reach more people. Mm-hmm. My dad was a pastor, my mom was a worship leader, so I was around you know, seeing them serve people, Mm. serve the church, serve the homeless in our community, all that sort of thing. So I knew deep inside of me, whatever I do in life, I want to help serve people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you go through high school and all that. I went to college and I I figured, you know, what a psychology degree seems to make sense because it's something very practical where I can, I, I could be relational. I could talk to people. I can help them through their problems. So I did that, finished my undergrad and then the natural progression to that was grad school. So I went to grad school for clinical psychology mm. and I was in a, a master's PhD program. And just through some circumstances in life, um, I, I really felt that it was important for me to stop school. And it's a, mm. it's a longer story for maybe another day, but I, I completely dropped out. I, I was counseling at the time. I quit my job. And was just like, okay, I need to, I need to have a new plan right now. And I felt like, you know, I was praying that. So of course, God's a part of my journey, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, but I was praying through that, 
And I started working at a music company and literally like the bottom rung of the company. I was the lowest of the lowest of the low in terms of hierarchy. Mm. And um, it was just a job. For me, it was like I could be around people. I could kind of think about, you know, I love music. I've always loved music. So I thought, you know, I'll be around music. I'll take my time kind of figuring out what I'm going to do. And it was during that time, I was just really trying to be, you know, I'm going to be a good steward of my time here and just doing accounting. I was basically the guy that would walk around to all the directors and say, hey, do you have your receipts to turn into the accountant? Like yeah. that, was, that was my scope of responsibility. But I, I just, I took it so serious and I thought, I want to be good here. I want to do a good job. And what's interesting is about six months into the job, the, the, the general manager of the whole organization came to me and he didn't even know me, or I don't think he did. And he said, Brock, there's something special about you. And I want to train you to take over all of our publishing and licensing. And I was, I was blown away. Right. Mm. So he did that and he sent me out on the road and he trained me. And I literally tried to memorize every song we owned, every copyright information that for each song, I went crazy with it. I started reading books and, and I, I realized something about myself. I love to learn and I always want to put myself in a position where I become indispensable. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really think about that word until I read Seth Godin's book, you know, the linchpin. linchpin yeah. But I realized in retrospect, I always wanted to be a linchpin wherever I was. I always wanted to know that I'm going above and beyond and that I'm critical to whoever I'm serving. Mm -hmm. So through that time, I realized I actually like contracts and I think I need to understand them better. I need to understand copyrights better. And so that's actually when I decided to go to law school. So I was working full time during the day, went to law school at night. And this was in the 90s. Um, and then uh, finished uh, right towards the end of law school. I was really struggling because, you know, when you work full time and you go to school at night, anyone that's done that, it, it kills you. You know, yeah. you're exhausted. You still have to study. Um, so I just couldn't make it physically anymore. I felt like I need to change. So I actually stopped working to finish my last, I don't remember if it was last semester, or last year mm. of law school, just to finish strong and then hit the ground running as a lawyer. And pretty much I, I was clerking along the way um, at that point and pretty much started my own practice. I think about six or nine months after I passed the bar, um, I just oh. hung a shingle and said, I'm, I'm doing it. I rented a little basically a closet in this high rise um cheapest thing i could find to be in a nice building and uh, you know start from scratch and that's that's what i've been doing so i'm coming up on or actually i just passed 17 years coming up on my 18th year of practicing law oh wow interesting yeah. very cool so now um, there are a few things you mentioned in there so i think the first one of course because while i'm a christian you're a christian i see you went yeah. to christian school i went to christian university as well so um yeah. Tell, tell me more a little bit about your your faith, first of all, your work, walk with God, and, you know, were there any struggles or challenges, you know, yeah. while you were going through college? Because, I mean, we all have a rebellious faith. <laughs> yes, so, even though we grew up in church and the Lord, right. and but you, you still want to be part of the cool guys, you know, whether it's drinking <laughs> or chasing girls or whatever. So, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, how your walk with God evolved and grew and yeah. really helped you become the man that you are today? Yeah, that's a good question. It, I think for me, growing up in a home where it wasn't just my mom and dad, my grandparents had a traveling quartet ministry. I had yeah. families that were ministers and missionaries. So I actually came from a really steeped um, 
you know, legacy of, of ministry and church and Jesus. So I distinctly remember I was, I, well, I don't remember my age. I think I was six, but I distinctly remember we were visiting my grandma in Hollywood. We went to a four square church in Hollywood and I was about six years old and the pastor was doing an altar call. And I had already considered myself saved. I mean, I just, from the moment I understood that concept, I considered mm. myself saved. I had a relationship with God. Um, but I, I just said in my, in my heart, I was talking to God, you know, God, I want you. I want you more than anything. And the pastor's doing an altar call. And I literally, like, this was the old school pews, you know, the wooden pews. And I, I just took off. I ran for the stage. I told that pastor, I'm in, I want to, I want to give my life to God forever. And, and, you know, my dad was like, I'm a, cause I'm a six year old. He just thought I was taking off the run outside or something. Mm. So he goes to grab me and it's like those movies where somebody's reaching for your collar and I just went for it. And I think that moment in my life is kind of iconic because I've always wanted Jesus. I've always wanted Jesus to be such a, a huge part of me, my life, my journey, my choices. So kind of fast forwarding, I remember in fourth grade, and I'll just tell a couple of short stories mm-hmm. to answer your question. I was in fourth grade or starting fourth grade. And I said, God, I want to be known as the kid that knows you. I want people to look at me and see you. So I said, this year, I'm going to wake up every year. I'm going to pray before school. I'm going to read my Bible before school. And I'm going to go sort of spirit filled to school and be that kid. And I did, you know, I started that, but, but I felt like, it was kind of, uh, you know, they're, they're, I'll tell you, I woke up the day of the first day of school and I had this huge glass painting above my bed frame and it was like the lion and the lamb. And it was in that, you know, actual glass frame. So I started praying and that thing fell off the wall and crashed over the top of my head. Now it had been there at least a year, never moved, you know, whatever. I wasn't bumping it or anything. It fell off. And in that moment, I really felt like it was kind of that thing spiritually where, I'm pressing into God and the devil wants me. He doesn't want me to be praying. He doesn't want me to wake up and read my Bible. And I just felt like it was kind of his message. Brock, if this is the kind of life you live, this is how I'm coming after you. But, you know, I said, I don't care because I'm hiding under that shadow of God's wing. I, I don't care. So I went for it. And fast forwarding, you know, like you're talking about, you know, there you, you go through these these periods of time in your life, high school and college, and there's alcohol and there's, you know, all this different kind of stuff. And I've worked out my salvation in the context of being saved. I wasn't like, you know, 20 years and 40 years, you know, and I was a heroin addict and I got miraculously saved or I was in a gang and got pulled out. I wanted Jesus for the time I was a baby. So for me, every bit of those struggles has been in the context of being a Christian, saved, sold out to God and saying, God, but I'm still human. And how do I navigate this? Mm. So I've, I've, you know, I went to a Christian university, like you said, and actually my wife, um, we were, uh, we were dating in high school, got married. So she, I've been with her for 20, uh, almost 30 years. Um, so even the, like chasing after girls and stuff, I didn't even go through that aspect after high school because I was with her and I was, I've been with her ever since. So Mm. I think some of it is, you know, yeah, I'm human and and we have to face our struggles. We have to face our trials every Mm. single day. I'm not like anybody different in that respect. I think the difference is, is knowing I want righteousness. I'm not saying I always hit it. I'm saying Mm. I want righteousness. I want to chase after what Jesus wants from my life. And so I feel like 
you know, there's, there's a piece of it where I, I certainly don't want this to come across like I've earned it anything because I yeah. haven't. Everything's by God's grace. But I know one thing he says to us, if we're faithful in little, we'll be faithful in much. much yeah. And so I try to be faithful in whatever he gives me, whatever seed that is, whatever opportunity that is, whatever spare moment that is, I try to be faithful in it. I do my best and that's, that's what I can do, you know? Yeah, true. Hmm. Good. So growing your faith and all that, starting your business, you know, six months after passing the bar to hang your own shingle, that, that is not only brave, <laughs> but it's, um, it, it also shows a certain, uh, will I say, trust in yourself and your abilities over the years. So, so tell us a little bit about, you know, the startup phase of, you know, what, hanging your own shingle because most people would say, hey, you know, let me work with a big company for yeah. a year, two years, get to know like how everything operates and then start. But you kind of dove into it the same way an entrepreneur would dive into something and yeah. figure it out as you go along. So, so tell us more about, you know, starting up, starting your own legal practice, some of the challenges you faced, how you overcame those challenges, were there any yeah. conflicts between, you know, having to do the good work for the client that may sometimes, you know, contradict your faith and your beliefs. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a great, it's a great perspective to think about. For me, hanging my shingle was just you, when, when you take a leap of faith, it's not a, it's not a tiptoe of faith. Like then it's not faith. Right. Mm. And, and I don't, I don't mean that when I know some people are struggling with even taking a tiptoe, but what I mean is I felt God calling me to bigger things from day one. So I knew if I'm going to tiptoe into this, I'm probably going to miss some of what he's, he has for me. So I felt internally, I need to make a big jump. I think, I think naturally it's not that I trust myself. I trust God. I, I grew up just with that mantra of it'll be okay because of God, not because of karma or good luck, or, you know, maybe I'm smart. I, I know everything's going to work out because of God and God yeah. is good and he's good all the time. So for me, when I started my practice, I had no doubt that whatever, if I fell flat on my face, God would take care of me. Mm. So that leap wasn't as big as it is for maybe some people where they're just not sure God's actually going to carry them or lift them up mm -hmm. if they fall. But I was, I was confident in that. The second thing is I really, really believe and I have a value for you always have to be positioned with God to trust him and to take a leap of faith, but you mm -hmm. always have to be positioned professionally to know what you're doing to the best of your ability. Yeah. So, and, and that's actually a part of even what I talk about in my book is that there are some people that say, I'm going to take a leap of faith and they have zero, Skills. like literally zero understanding of mm -hmm. what they're jumping towards. Mm -hmm. To me, if I'm going to start a law practice, I'm going to read every book I can get my hands on and how to do it. Mm -hmm. which I did, right? So I read a lot of books. I read, you know, preparation. yeah, I took, I, I prepared and I, and I tried to understand the best I can what I'm getting myself into. But let me give you a quick example. When you start something and, and you read every book there is, the practicalities of what's missed in books and trainings really comes like, it comes to the forefront. So I was trained on how to take a deposition. I'll just make this short. I was trained mm -hmm. on how to take a deposition, you know, ask questions, you know, in the context of litigation, you're in a room, it's private. There's a, you know, two lawyers, two clients and a, and a uh, court reporter. I got to the point where I needed to introduce a contract into evidence. And I realized 
I have no idea procedurally what I say, how I market, how am I, I just brought the contract in and I figured I'm going to put it in this guy's face and ask him questions about mm. it. And it, everything came to a screeching halt. And I realized there's actually a procedure to say, you know, I, I won't get into the procedure, but there's a mm. procedure to introduce that thing. Mm-hmm. And I realized, I realized two things in that moment. Number one, no amount of reading and no amount of training is going to prepare you for real life. Really Number one, <laughs> True. you have to just dump, jump in. The second thing is I realized how many people have been in my shoes that sat in a deposition and had no idea when they ha- got that contract in their hand, how to introduce it to e- into evidence that they realized everything I've studied and everything I've read didn't <laughs> answer that question. So it also sent me on a journey of from this day forward, when I create resources, when I help train people, Mm. I'm going to get into the nuances of the things we don't talk about, like, mm. you know, how do you introduce this? So, so I did this in my book. I've did this in my other books and I do this with everyone I work with. If I'm going to train you on something, I'm not going to say, you know, if we're talking about digital transformation, I'm not going to say, um, you know, go do a podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, have you thought about what microphone you need and why? Have mm. you thought about how you're going to connect that microphone to either your computer, a recorder something else, like literally piece by piece, line by line. So I think when I think about me starting up, there's an element of it that was taking a huge leap of faith, but there was a, there was a huge element of being as prepared as possible, reading, consuming information, trying to watch other people, what they did, how they started, but not being afraid to jump in and get it wrong. Cause I, I honestly think with entrepreneurs, we're so afraid to get it wrong because we're thinking of either being laughed at or the consequences financially. Right. And I thought I would much rather fall on my face a a million times my first five years than have an ego and keep falling on my face a million times over the next 20 years. Mm. I'm not saying I never fall on my face, but what I am saying is I fell on my face a lot my first years because I was happy to. I was happy to fail. I was happy to learn from failing. So that, to me, is like the kickoff of my journey. Mm. So now, I guess it's a good segue into what you do now, which is, yes, you have your legal practice, but I think you've pretty much branded yourself as a digital transformation consultant. So how did you evolve into that line of work, and what is digital transformation? Yeah. I, I would say if I had to pinpoint the moment where I think it kind of the light bulb went off was I was working. So this is probably in the first couple of years of my practice. I was working with a software engineering company or sorry, I was working with a farming company. Okay. And, and we were just doing intellectual property work. But in the process of talking to leadership, they were talking about, you know, basically how the farming community has to engage with the future, how they have mm. to engage with changes in the marketplace and where demands go. And they have all these different procedures and things that we talked through. And I was just, I was so curious. I just kept asking questions and questions like, tell me more, tell me more. That was the only farming company that I represented at the time. Fast forward, uh, you know, a couple of years later, I was working with a software engineering company and they had hired me for some contracts or something. So something purely legal. And in my nature, I, I start tinkering. I start digging into leadership and saying, well, what's going on over here? Why do you need this contract? What, who's it going to impact? Because I don't ever want to be the lawyer that, hey, we need a, you know, we need contract A, you know, ABC. Mm. And I hand them ABC. I want to know why they need it. Because if I understand the context of that contract, 
I'll deliver an infinitely better contract for them. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a value for me. But as I'm talking to the software engineering company, their leadership, I realized they were really struggling with their adaption to how, you know, the future's moving in software engineering. And a light bulb went off. Something I'd heard in the farming conversation, if we just transposed a few of the pieces, would work here. Would work, yeah. I threw it out there. And in that moment, and they were blown away. They're like, whoa, 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 this is, this is brilliant. This is like groundbreaking. I'm thinking, interesting, because it's from a completely different context. So from that moment forward, I realized a couple of things. I want to strategize with my clients. I don't want to deliver a piece of paper. I want to help them do business better. So that was a decision I made within the first three to five years of my practice. Then moving forward from that point, every time I'd get hired, no matter what I get hired for, I would, I would take it upon myself to say, I'm going to help these people do business better. I don't care what they hired me for. I'm just going to help them do business better. So I'd ask questions, you know, this and that. When you fast forward, I, I, I started to see that generically as just, okay, I'm consulting. So I'm doing legal work and I'm doing consulting. And a lot of times I'd get hired for a legal, you know, like a contract or a negotiation or a copyright or trademark or something. But the second they started working with me, they're like, man, we just want to have you here to pick your brain. Can we just put you on retainer or something just to have access to your strategy, your brain? So I started, my law practice started a shift where I have all this, you know, quote, law stuff. And then I have all this consulting stuff. And I started reading all these consulting books. You know, mm-hmm. again, I'm a, I'm a learner. So I got, I remember Alan Weiss, I think. Alan Weiss, yeah. Right. I read probably five, I think he has, you know, I don't know how many books, but I think I read five of his books, mm-hmm. cover to cover. How do I consult? How do I set up a proposal? I started using the tools that he talked about in his books. And I realized, okay, I'm a, I'm a consultant also, but it wasn't actually until last year that I felt like it gave definition that the digital transformation piece came, I would say last year sometime, mm. actually talking to our mutual friend, Kamanzi Constable, who we were, we were just talking about the work I do. And he, and he said, Brock, you do digital transformation. I'm like, why do you say that? He goes, strategy, future proofing, future thinking, mindset, but in the, in the sense of getting organizations to move from an analog thinking to a digital thinking. And in one moment, he articulated a definition for what I'd been doing for more than a decade. Mm. I just never gave it a definition. I just Mm -hmm. called it consulting, right? Strategy. And so I defined it and I realized now that I understand that definition, I can, I can create a spectrum around this is what I do more specifically, Mm. which from a marketing and sales perspective, you know, if you can't communicate your message of what you do and why you do it and how it helps, mm-hmm. you're not going to get that kind of business. So I just started articulating, this is what I do. So rather than get hired for legal and transition to consulting, because that was what was happening. Now I could go to a client and say, I am a digital, con- a digital transformation consultant, mm-hmm. get the legal work. And that did, so I get hired for doing digital transformation consulting and no legal work at all. So I was able to kind of start, you know, they still work together and they complement each other, but I'm able to have sort of silo silo them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so really what it is, is kind of what, what I said, Kamanzi said, it's, it's shifting organizations from an analog way of thinking to a digital way of thinking. It's getting them to think future. 
how do we how do we invest not just in in IT like how do we, it's not about how do we you know buy the latest or you know get use the latest cloud service or things like that it's how do we think that customers act and behave today and in the future and what better oh. ways can we interact with customers mm. what better ways can we interact with our teams today how can we communicate better you know all those sorts of things yeah mm. and it's funny that it's kind of difficult for organizations as a whole to keep up when, if you look at the every organization is made up of people and everyone has like kept up individually. So in terms of communication, everybody's using WhatsApp or Slack or LinkedIn and all that stuff to communicate with their friends and family around the globe. But when they come together in an organization, it is difficult because they still use outdated systems. Like I've worked in a company where their CRM was extremely difficult to use to the point of yeah. it was almost impossible to get any work done if you wanted to do work and use their yeah. CRM. So thinking about it like that, I'm, I'm just very surprised that on the personal side, everybody's caught up. But right. when they're all together, it's like, you know, there's a resistance <laughs> for, for the whole team or the whole organization or the whole organization itself to yeah. evolve. So how right. do you help them get across that obstacle into the future? I think, it, well, very methodically, right? Yeah. So I, I would say if I have an emphasis, because digital transformation, I think, has a lot of different areas of expertise. So there may be digital transformation consultants that work exclusively with the technology itself. Mm-hmm. So if you say, hey, we want to improve our CRM, or, or, you know, invest in a new CRM, they're going to know every CRM that's available and what the pros and cons are of each. That's not, that's not my lane. Okay. My lane is, is uh, more specifically on the mindset of the transformation and the communication of the transformation and the decision-making and strategy of the transformation. So what I do is I'll come into an organization and I'll kind of take an assessment and say, how are we thinking about the future? How are we currently using, you know, quote, digital thinking to operate? And sometimes I'll see, well, oh, my gosh, you know, we're using computers that are 20 years old. Mm-hmm. There's some people that don't even have computers. We're using, uh, we're using a spreadsheet instead of a database for, for document management. You know, I kind of see those types of things. And I understand, I understand those things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so part of it is taking a snapshot of where this organization is. Then I say, look you're going to need technology development. So, so you're going to need to, to speak to some experts in the best technology for these issues. Mm. And, and that may be a new CRM uh, system or, or a donor database or some other database or whatever. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Then I look at how are your people, how are your teams internally thinking about transformation? And what we, what we realize is a lot of times these teams are just hanging on by the skin of their teeth. Mm. Boss is telling them what to do, hitting them with a, with a stick, meet these numbers, meet these goals. They have no time to really invest in understanding how to move the business forward. They have mm. no incentive of to move the whole business forward because they don't get a benefit from that, right? True. So, so there's an aspect of like that entrepreneurial mindset that I know you understand very well. A lot of the people that we know in common understand very well. You want employees that have the mindset that they can, their con- contribution to the organization will make a difference. Mm. We start to train the employees and the staff on how to, how to think in a way 
where you can create a culture in this organization to take the whole thing forward, where it's not leadership dragging a bunch of dead weight. Mm. It's instead every single body in that organization saying, I can carry this, but we're all working together. We're all pulling. Now you have, uh, you know, a hundred people, a thousand people, 10,000 people pulling a weight instead of each person pulling their own weight. That's, that's what we don't want. But then it's also, how do we communicate better? I mean, you know, this is a podcast, you know, how important podcasts are right now in this era. And the, the percentage of businesses that haven't bought into the idea that they could communicate through a podcast is staggering. Wow. They, they don't understand it. They don't understand why it's valuable. So part of it is not so much which mic do you use or which recording or editing software do you use. Part of it is, do you even understand why you can communicate more effectively using things like a podcast or a, vi- or a video? Here's a quick example. We talk about video all the time. The, the statistics on video are that pretty much over the next uh, three to five years, um, I think something like 85% of all social media engagement will be video. Yeah. So organizations are just now, I think, starting to realize, okay, we got to be in video. We got to be in video. You know, five years ago, we got to be on social media. Then they kind of got it. And then they're like, okay, we got to be on video. So first of all, they're already lagging behind. behind yeah. But they're putting up video. And another statistic that they're not aware of, and this is just one little piece, is the vast majority of video watched on Facebook is watched silently. So, I mean, consider that. Captions, yeah. Right? They don't don't put the captions because they think, you know, there's a video. And imagine me, you know, imagine you doing a video and our hands are waving, our heads bobbing, and somebody's just watching that and they're like, I have no idea what you're saying. Uh Captions are just the first part of that. It's, it's boring to watch somebody hands waving, you know, all that with, with captions. But imagine if we merge that with images. Imagine if we merge that with other forms of media. So it, organizations need to be thinking, and this is just an aspect of the types of trainings that we do. Of, mm-hmm. of, if we were focusing on video, not just video. Video is such a broad c- concept. It doesn't really mean anything to say, hey, we're in video. It's just like 10 years ago, organizations, yeah, we're on social media. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? I took, a, I, I took a leader at an organization, a pretty large organization, and that leader is pretty active, you know, quote, active on, on social media. And they said, I, I was talking about, you know what, I think there's a lot of work we can do with your social media. And they're like, are you kidding? Millions of fans. I'm on there every day. I pulled up, uh, I don't know, 20, 20 to 40 posts. And I said, show me in your post where you've talked back to anybody in the comments. Mm. Not a single one, of course. You knew that was coming. Mm-hmm. There's no engagement. No engagement, yeah. There's top-down communication. There's no engagement. So anyways, all that to say, when we work with an organization, I will always focus on the strategy, the communications, the thinking, the mindset, and the decision-making that goes into transforming. I will always look at another team to say, hey, if you want to find the latest CRM solution, you need to find the people that study that every day and know every every single piece of software that's out there and mm. all that. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my lane. Oh, interesting. And that also shows me that it's it ties into what you were talking about at the origin stage, which is basically you saw an idea from the farming, no, no, the software industry, and then you brought it into farming, correct? Farming to farming, software. farming to software. Yeah, yeah. because that that reminded me of. Um, one of the passages in the Bible, I think it's Elisha and the 
the widow with the oil. And mm -hmm. I remember when, you know, he was trying to perform that miracle and we're like, oh, I have nothing but a glass of oil or whatever. And yeah. I'm like, okay, go outside and go borrow some vessels and then yeah. bring it back. And then I think she got a couple, but yeah. in my own imagination, if it was me, I would have said, let me go around the whole city again. Every, <laughs> everybody's vessels, you know? Right, and, that's, right. and that's what you're doing because you're bringing ideas from here. You're bringing ideas from here. You're right. pouring it here. You're pouring it there. And it's like, the more ideas, the more places you work, the more things you see, the more you're able to synergize that and say, okay, this could actually help this industry, even though it's not directly similar to this. But if yeah. you just take away the industry-specific learnings or the industry-specific uh, lingo or whatever and put right. the principles, it yeah. translates perfectly. So yeah. that's just um, an interesting thing that I saw there. So as we start to transition towards the end of the show, let's talk a little bit more about why you wrote the book, The Christian Entrepreneur, and what do you want people to get out of that book? Yeah. And, uh, is, it, and is it specifically for Christians only? That's another thing. I'll answer that first. The answer is absolutely not, but it's de definitely languaged towards Christians. Mm -hmm. um, but the principles in that book, it's funny because it, exactly what you were saying 30 seconds ago about taking principles from one area and applying them elsewhere this book is about principles. It's about the principles of business and it's about the principles of our spiritual engagement with Jesus. Mm. So if, if a uh, non-believer took that book, their business, I believe, would be fully transformed, even if they disregarded everything spiritual in that, because mm -hmm. the business principles in there are solid. Mm. But let me go back to why, why I did this. So I love to write as, as an aside, I, it's just, it's a hobby. It's a craft I've, I've loved. I think in my first year of college, I started writing, um, you know, entered some competitions. I love creative writing and I've written so much. I mean, I've written short stories, poems, novels, uh, screenplays. I've written fiction and nonfiction. So this is by no means like my first book. I've actually written probably seven books. Oh, wow. um, this is my first with a major publisher. Mm. Um, I self-published one um, last year that's also for entrepreneurs, but it's not a, quote, Christian book. That one is called Crush the Stops, An Entrepreneur's Guide to Finishing Things. The reason why I wrote The Christian Entrepreneur is twofold. Number one, because I love to write and I can't not write. <laughs> so no matter what, I'm going to be always writing for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, but really pragmatically is because I go back to that day when I was sitting in that deposition as a new attorney, having no practical clue how to introduce a piece of evidence. I also go back to my first year of business with my law practice thinking I have no practical clue how to, how to budget, how to understand if I'm supposed to do a P&L and why, if I should have a business plan and why, none of those things but I've had instincts my whole life. So for example, quick one, you know, when all my friends that were starting their own practices went out and got the most expensive, nicest buildings and nicest offices they could get, because they, they thought their logic is, I'm going to impress clients with the physical appearance, therefore I'm gonna get business. Mm. They started going into debt from day one, you know, yeah. 10,000 bucks a month for a high rise, you know, beautiful. You can see the ocean and all that. I got something, I don't remember exactly, but let's call it 350 bucks a month mm -hmm. because I could access my clients in a conference room that was nice because I had access to it. No one ever came in my office, which was literally like an old closet. So mm -hmm. I didn't care. 
And I realized that business owners, entrepreneurs, they don't understand that. They don't think that. I think in, in broad strokes we do, but on the, on the fine detail, we don't. We don't mm-hmm. know how to make really good decisions. So my book walks through the dream stage, the planning stage, the execution stage, and the growth stage. Mm-hmm. So in the dream, we say, how do you know if it's a good dream? How do you know if it's a dream from God, mm-hmm. if it's a dream from you know, from the dark side, if it's, if it's just a bad dream, it's a nightmare. How do you know? So we literally take dreams and we break them down of how, how you can take a dream and kind of put some, put some concrete up to test whether it's a good dream or not. We walk into, you know, planning. How do you create a plan? What do you need to think about? You need to think about logistics, physical office space, uh, you know, office sharing. How, you know, do you need a telephone or do you just need email? Do you need an office building? Can you work out of Starbucks? We walk through all of that kind of stuff. And the reason why this is so critical to me is because I know that 90, I think, I think greater than 90% of all business failures at any level, any size of business boils down to the fundamentals. Uh We can always think in broad strokes. I'm going to go on social media. I'm going to start a YouTube channel. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It's always broad strokes. If I asked you, Chi, how you, what, what, what's your podcast? Do you already know the answer? This is who I target. This is my topic. This is the equipment I'm going to use because you're an expert, mm. but I can go to the next person who says they wake up today and say, I'm going to start a podcast. Who's your target? Why? What are you going to get out of it? How are you going to fund it? I can start asking the questions and suddenly they're like, I'm not going to do a podcast. Mm. Right. But instead of leaving them with uh, talking them out of it, what I do is say, here's all the stuff you need to be thinking about and weighing and evaluating. Now, let's do that together and actually put some exercises in the book. I have some, some sheets, some worksheets, some um, different infographics they can apply. But basically, I'm trying to walk with them in the book. Okay, now you, we think we have a good idea now. And how do we start the planning process? So I literally am walking through. The aspect of the Christianity comes in where I, I look at it this way. I, I see that we have a lot. If I go into a bookstore or go on Amazon, I could find all kinds of, of secular general market books that talk about how to run a good business. Mm-hmm. And there's some really good ones out there. There are. For sure. Mm-hmm. I've, I have found very few that are dream to plan to execute to grow in those phases. But let's just say there, there are some books out there, but there's no spiritual element. Mm-hmm. There's no, well, what do I do if I get into a dispute with a vendor and I want to sue them? Mm-hmm. The world says sue them. Right? What a Christian what what does the Bible say about suing people? Well, we know what the Bible says about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I look at it and I say, how can I weave scripture and biblical principles into the decisions we make in best practices in business? Dispute resolution's easy because there's so much, you know, do we sue people? Do we take them to court? There's a lot of Bible on that, right? Mm. But in your dream stage, I talk about, have you ever actually brought this idea to God and said, God, is this a good idea? God, will you bless my plan? Mm. So I merge the spiritual with the practical business. And that's this book. And honestly, I think there's not another book out on the market like this. There's some excellent entrepreneurial spiritual books, but they focus on heart and mind and the way that we engage they don't focus on the practical elements of running an awesome business, a successful mm-hmm. business. And so that's really what my goal was. That's what I wanted to do. And that's what I hope it achieves. Mm, good. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because, uh, if, okay, so take, for example, we separate the Christian element from the, 
the principles of the book. Um, most people, whether they're atheists, believers, Muslims, I, mean, I think people kind of fundamentally deep down believe that there's some other realm, whether you call it the spiritual realm, but there are, we're, not, we're not just physical beings, you know, we, do, we, don't, we don't just create anything at random. You have to have right. inspiration from somewhere. And some people might not just want to call it God because they, they, they don't like that term, but <laughs> right. you, you, you know that there are some things where, okay, take for example, you have a business idea, but then like five or seven other people around the world have the same exact idea. Right. And they all start around the same time and you start seeing, but yours is different. Now that, yeah. that doesn't tell me, that tells me that, you know what, when we live in a stream where maybe when our subconscious, when we when we're asleep or when we're tapped into the spirit of God, yeah. or, you know, those ideas come to all of us and just t- t- based on your, when I say your spiritual antenna or your reception of those ideas in the metaphysical, you're able yeah. to pull it down and then you're downloading and then you're able to execute. So right. I, <laughs> I've even forgotten what I'm trying to ask you. But <laughs> what I'm just trying to say is that, you know, whether you believe in God or not, if you're listening to this, there's a spiritual or a metaphysical element to the world that we do not see, but we do know exists. Whether you believe it or not, consciously, it, it, do, it does happen in right. everyday life, correct? It, correct. And I also, I think I can add something to that that I think you're probably trying to say anyways, which is we, we think in terms of, if I told you, hey, you, you're going to, you know, or if you woke up with a dream last night, you're going to start a social media company. I mean, you know, scroll back 20 years, Facebook didn't exist, you know, or maybe it did. I, I don't remember when it started, but scroll back before social media. Mm-hmm. You wake up and God told you, you're going to start this company and you don't know it yet, but it's a social media company. But simultaneously, there's a hundred other people on the planet that kind of woke up with that same thing. Mm. I am 100% convinced that the way that we are designed is so unique that even the expression of our business is and can be unique. Yeah. So one, one thing, you, you know, when you read a lot of business books, you read, and, and Seth Godin's kind of a master of this topic as well. When we try to go to the lowest common denominator, which is the cheapest price, we all are competing on the exact same plane. Mm-hmm. Who can do it cheaper? It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a junkier product or whatever. It's a worse service, but it's, you know, who's the cheapest, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if I told you, all right, forget, forget the price right now. What makes you unique? I can line up a hundred people that, that heard from God, literally heard from God, start a social media company, and we will see a hundred different variations because yeah. of what they have planted inside of them, what mm-hmm. makes them unique. I, for example, I love to write. I love to fish. There's a certain you know, types of things that I like to do that make me me. Mm-hmm. Um, I love to help people. I love to educate people. I love to give them more education than they expect. I, I love to give them more period than they expect. But there's other people that love to talk 30 seconds. They're in and out. They're in and out. They're in and out. That doesn't mean that those are mutually exclusive. Those two businesses can coexist. That's why I think about it. Facebook can coexist with Twitter, can coexist with TikTok, can coexist with LinkedIn. Why? Because And they all advertise on each other. Right. (laughs) But at the end of the day, they're unique expressions of connecting people, Mm -hmm. right? whether it's business, music, family, whatever, 
they're, they're all meant to connect people. They're all meant to be able to make you a content creator, a content distributor, creating a platform for a connection, but it's unique expressions. And if we boiled each of those down to a human being, we would realize, I don't care. That's why I never fear competition. I truly yeah. don't. You know, people talk about competition from the day I started my law practice. You're because I, I do a lot of entertainment work. You're crazy, Brock. You're doing entertainment. You're going up against the Disney, you know, the, the universal. I don't go get up against them. You know how many entertainers there are in this world mm. that are not Brad Pitt or Justin Bieber or whatever. There are millions upon millions of entertainers. I don't need the top 10. I can have the bottom million. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. And so I think. I think when people start to think through what makes me unique, whether I hear that idea from God or not, we are by design created with unique features, our character, our, our experiences, our, our, our voice, basically, that if we will bring our voice into our business, we'll never have to worry about competition ever mm. because we will never be competing against somebody that's doing something identical to us. Mm -hmm. Two lawyers... You put a thousand lawyers next to me, I can guarantee you that none of them do what I do, how I do it. Mm. So I don't worry about them. They're worried about me because they're like, how's Brock do it? That's the problem, right? So as business owners and entrepreneurs, I think really we got to get out of the mindset of looking around and saying, I need to go deeper in what makes me, me, mm -hmm. because the more I put me into my business, the more I, my business will be unique and there is no competition for that. And honestly, if I could give any advice to a young entrepreneur, I would say, forget your business plan, forget your business idea. What makes you unique? Breathe that into your business and you will have zero competition. Mm. That's very eloquently well-spoken because even in my business of doing podcast marketing, I found that because I'm a trained consultant, I worked in the big four, I worked in investment banking. So yeah. when, when I'm trying to set up media or marketing for somebody or set one of these platforms, I think about it from the perspective of what have I done with my past clients from my past life in consulting? How yeah. is this thing going to help the business grow? Because it's not yeah. about the thing itself. It's all about how I'm bringing what I'm good at, which is yeah. helping businesses grow, finding the, the weak links and eliminating all that, and then putting all that in this particular vehicle and saying, hey, this is just a vehicle, but it's a bridge to help you bring people in. Yes. So that once you have a better business, you can now connect to the people that are going to buy from your business to help your business succeed. Other guys in the space, and I know we know a lot of the same people, they do the same thing or they do it similarly, but majority of them do it from their own strength and gifts. Some are storytellers, some study literature and history, and they infuse that. I come from a consulting background, which is what I've always loved to do. And right. I do that. And we can all coexist because guess what? there's enough room for everybody in every industry to succeed right. and make it because you're bringing your own uniqueness. So don't ever, right. if you're listening to this podcast, listen to what Brock has said and don't ever be afraid to just put your own unique spin on things because people might just hire you for being you. I read uh, a post on Facebook. I don't know if she's a GetBook member as well, but she said essentially um, a company reached out to her to hire her just mm -hmm. to come hang out with them because they just <laughs> like her energy. She writes for Forbes and all these places. Right. Based on what she posts on Facebook and everything, they just said, hey, we just want you to just come right. and hang out with us and give us that your energy. 
And it's like, dude, I'm not even paid to do anything just to sit down and <laughs> hang out with people. So people might just want to get you in their presence because they right. like your vibe. So you right. know, never be afraid to put yourself, whether it's um, you like music, you're a Christian, whatever it is, right. make sure you put your personal stamp on whatever you're doing. Right. And that is what is going to attract people, which I, I've seen a lot of people try to eliminate and copy people like Gary V and all these yeah. other guys. You, you, you got to be your own self and you have to be extremely unique. Right. Totally agree. Awesome. So with that said, Brock, my friend, we've reached the end of the podcast. But before I let you go, tell us a little bit more about, well, first of all, two things, sorry. Uh, give us a few parting words of wisdom and then tell us what people can connect to you um, if they want to do business with you and where they can find the book. So on the book right now, it releases in February. I think February 20th is the release date. Um, so right now it's on pre-order on Amazon and you could just search Brock Shinen or the Christian entrepreneur. I think there might be a few different books with the Christian entrepreneur in the title. So just make sure you're, you're adding my name to narrow it down. Um, connecting with me, I'm on social media a lot, um, probably Instagram more than anything. And I'm mm. pretty much Brock Shinen on all my, uh, you know, whether it's LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook, I'm active on all three, um, Brock Shinen on all those. And if you want to reach out and work together or talk about working together, um, you could always reach out through social media. That's fine. Um, makes it really easy to find people. But you can also go to brockshinen.com. Um, and there's, uh, with, uh, there's you know, contact tools there. So you can reach out that way. And um, I think those are all the questions, right? Yes. Perfect. And I'll be sure to link to that on the show notes when this episode is edited and ready to go live. So thanks a lot for coming to share your story and your words of wisdom. I appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Thanks so much, Chi. I really appreciate it. And you know, actually, you asked me one more question. I'll give you a quick, you said, any words of wisdom? Here's my words of wisdom. If you're, if you're well, I think there was. <laughs> if you're a new entrepreneur, a new business owner, and you're struggling right now, here's what I would say. First and foremost, you can do it. You can overcome these hurdles. But I would say invest as much time and energy in understanding what you're doing. Mm. Most people fail because they're so caught up in the stress of owning, the stress of running a business. Take some time, deepen your knowledge in what you're doing, and you'll start to see the fruit of that. That's my uh, parting word. Awesome. Awesome. So thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com. <laughs>